Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. If you have your Bible here today, please take it and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Breaking away from Matthew, we're going to come back to Matthew in a couple of weeks. Figure that we would end our time together with the last portion of the Lord's Prayer, looking at the doxology. So in between that time, we're going to be the next two weeks in 1 Corinthians as we think about everything that the Lord has for us. So turn with me there to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and as you're turning there, let me tell you a story. On June the 14th, 1940, after just 46 days of fighting, Paris fell into the hands of Nazi Germany. Three days later, France surrendered their arms to Adolf Hitler. Hitler's next target, Britain. On June the 18th, 1940, Britain's Prime Minister, Winston Churchill, spoke to the House of Commons to recall the events in France, and he prepared the British people for the reality that they would soon be standing alone in the sights of what seemed to be an unstoppable German army. I want to read to you the last few lines of probably Churchill's most famous speech. Listen to what he said. What General Wagon called the Battle of France is over. I expect that the Battle of Britain is about to begin. Upon this battle depends a survival of Christian civilization. Upon it depends our own British life and the lone continuity of our institutions and our empire. The whole fury and might of the enemy must be very soon be turned on us. Hitler knows that he will have to break us in this island or lose the war. If we can stand up to him, all Europe may be free and the life of the world may move forward in the broad sunlit uplands. But if we fail, then the whole world, including the United States, including all that we have known and cared for, will sink into the abyss of a new dark age made more sinister and perhaps more protracted by the light of perverted science. Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will say, this was their finest hour. Now history tells the rest of the story. Because we're on this side of history, history tells us that Churchill was right. The Battle of Britain was the largest air battle that the world has ever seen. The Germans, they came in expecting a quick victory like France, but they were met by heavy resistance from the British. For three months over London, the air raid sirens sounded as Britain held their own and dealt Adolf Hitler and the Germans their first major defeat of the war. You see, what seemed like the darkest day for Britain turned out to be their brightest hour. What I want to do today is I want to take us back to an even more significant event, a day in history that by all accounts and reasonings was the darkest day. Christ 
the King of kings and the Lord of lords, God incarnate, crucified on a hill outside of Jerusalem for six hours one Friday. But that dark day turned out to be the brightest day in all of history because on that day, Christ from the cross dealt death a blow. Death was crushed to death. And the redemption of humanity was purchased on that day through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. What I want to talk to you today is about the power of the cross. And to do so, I want to take you to the Word of God so that we can hear what the Word of God says about the power of the cross. Begin reading with me, if you will. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preached to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But of those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Would you pray with me this morning? Our Father in heaven, we love you. And we are so grateful that we stand on this side of history to be recipients of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ, who by his death has made all things new, who by his death is making all things new. Father, we love you. And help us today to learn to lavishly enjoy the power of the cross. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Now what we've just read, and I'm glad that we have the privilege of reading it together, what we've just read is one of the most pivotal passages that validates our hope in Jesus Christ. Now you say, well, wait a minute, what do you mean most pivotal passage? Don't you say that most of the Bible is a pivotal passage? Well, yes, of course. But we're so grateful for a passage like this because what we've just read is we've just read a passage that validates our hope in Jesus. We have just read of God's work to redeem His people through judging this age that's filled so much with disharmony and unbelief, this age that's held us captive. God has demonstrated in the cross the wisest and greatest power that the world had ever seen. Through the cross, God has taken the sharp tip of death and through the cross and three nails, God has taken the sharp tip of death and beat death's spear into a plowshare 
as through the death of the Son, you and I stand as victors. As through the death of Jesus, you and I stand on the side of victory. So what I want to do today, it's going to be a little different outline, and I'm, I'm going to have it up on the screen for you today. What I want to do is I want to give you four truths under two major headings from this passage, as together you and I learn to delight in the power of the cross. So number one, something we need to know that Paul wants us to know, that God wants us to know through this word, number one, only the cross has the power to save. There's nothing else that has the power to save. Only the cross has the power to save. There is no other event in the world that can even come close to what happened on that hill six hours one Friday. There's no other event. Now, oftentimes when we say events, you and I, we may be prone to think about a list of events that's changed the world. You can go Google Time, I think, has uh, uh, several lists. History has several lists of those events that have changed the world. We may be prone to think about those type of events, you know, like World War II or the invention of the printing press or whoever it was who decided to put, uh, you know, jelly on a biscuit, those kind of things that just, they changed the world. But I want us to challenge us to, to think a little broader this morning. The Son of God slain on the cross at the hands of sinners like you and me. It puts every other event in history in proper perspective. Even something as significant as creation. And we know about creation, right? That's that incredible time where God spoke something out of nothing as light pierced the darkness. Even something as significant as creation does not make sense outside of the cross. The Bible says that Christ is the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And that's Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8. So what does that mean? What does that mean? If Christ is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, what does this mean? It means that the cross has always been the plan of God. Do you understand that? When God created the way that He created, He knew that when He created the way that He created, it was going to mean that the Son was going to have to come and suffer. When He decided to create the world in the way that He created it, He knew that when He created it this way, it would mean that the Son would have to come and die a cruel death at the hands of sinful men. The most astonishing fact of reality is that of all the possible ways that God could have created, and there's a thousand different ways. We could think about a world where maybe there was no way that we could have ever sinned. There may be a different world that we could imagine where we did sin, but there's no salvation. There's all kind of possible ways. God could have done whatever He wanted to do. He's the all-wise, astounding God. But of all the possible ways that God could have created, He chose to create us in the way that He did knowing that when He created you and I, it meant that the Son was going to have to die. And yet He did it anyway. You say, well, why on earth did God choose to create us this way? Why? Well, I think that there's only one word that even comes close to capturing why God did it. There's only one reason, and you know what it is? Love. Love is the reason. How, according to Scripture, did God demonstrate His love for us? How did He do it? Well, creation, sure. But creation doesn't grab our attention like the cross. What does the Bible say 
Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We know the love of God and are convinced of the love of God for one reason. The cross. We could read 1 John 4.10 here too. 1 John 4.10 says this way, And this is love, not that we've loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God demonstrated His love for us by sending the Son. That word propitiation means satisfaction. The Son satisfied the wrath of God for us. Now here's the point. If there were a wiser or a better way or a stronger or more powerful way to demonstrate God's love for us, God would have done it. But the fact is, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. But as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, the message of the cross that we hold so dear. The message of the cross that has the only power to save, the message of the cross is contrary to the world. And that's the first sub-point. Uh, you can call it A if you'd like to. The message of the cross is contrary to the world. Look back at verse 17. The reason I wanted to capture verse 17, really when I was first outlining these notes, I had planned to preach uh, verse 17 all the way through the end of, of uh, chapter 1. But, well, you know, no way we could do that, not unless we wanted to be here till the cows come home. But anyway, so we look back at verse 17. The reason why I wanted to capture that is so that we could have the context of what Paul's doing. Paul is developing two contrasts between verse 17 and verse 18. And I want you to follow this in your uh, in your Bible. I want you to follow this, and maybe if you have a pen and you think that it's wise and expedient to mark in your Bible, which I agree with you, then this is a good thing for you to underscore. Look at verse 17, and I want you to underscore word in each verse, 17 and 18. Words of eloquent wisdom in verse 17, and then, of course, word of the cross in verse 18. Now, by doing that, Paul is drawing a contrast. Paul is, he's writing this letter, of course, to Corinthians. And I love the way that Paige Patterson in his commentary, he, who's, by the way, Paige Patterson is the president of Southwestern Seminary. Uh, Paige Patterson, he titled his whole commentary on this book, The Troubled and Triumphant Church, which is, if you know anything, if you've read Corinthians, then you know, then this church is troubled. But even though they're troubled, they're called those sanctified in Christ, as well as they're called saints, those who've called upon the name of the Lord, both their Lord and ours. He says that in verse 2. But Paul is writing this letter to a church that has problems. And the reason they have problems is all boiled down to one thing. Paul says, here's your problem right in the beginning. And then he's going to get into the specifics as the letter develops. But the problem at the church of Corinth is that they have lost their focus. What they're trying to do is they're trying to see eternal things by looking through a keyhole. And Paul, he wants to give them the, the right way to view things, and the right way to view things is through the cross. Because here's, here's the reality. The cross both changes and challenges the way that you and I see reality. I like what one theologian said. Paul is saying, in effect, who would have ever dreamed up this plan? 
Only God is so wise to be so foolish. And then he says, furthermore, look at who receives the gospel. Corinthians, it's you. Who in the name of wisdom would have chosen you to be the new people of God? And then he goes on in chapter 2 in the first five verses. He says, finally, remember me. Not to just look at you, but I'm looking at myself too. He says, remember me. Remember my own preaching. And then Paul says, who in the name of wisdom would have come in such weakness? And then he said, yet look at the results. Look what God has done. Look at verse 18. Of all the classifications that we place upon ourselves, and there's a lot of them. It's time for us to do our taxes. Are you going to be filing single or married or joint filing or separate? Or There's all kind of classifications, right, for us to put on ourselves. Uh, rich or poor, black or white, educated or uneducated. But look at what happens here. Because Christ has died on the cross, the cross of Christ divides humanity into two categories, just two. Look at them in verse 18. Those who are perishing and those who are being saved. Now look at the way those verses are written in our English language. I'm, I'm reading this morning the English Standard Version and, and I really agree that these translators, they've done a great job conveying the, the tense of these Greek verbs. L- listen to them again. Those who are perishing and then those who are being Saved. In the Greek, these words are present, active participles. What does this mean? Well, the two types of people are those who are already perishing and those who are already being saved. The perishing has already begun. And the perishing that's already begun will continue until something or someone intervenes to stop the perishing. Someone stops the bleeding. But praise be to God that Paul's writing this letter telling us that something has definitively happened to save humanity. And what is it? The cross of Christ. The death and resurrection of the Son of God has really brought about the dawning of a new age. That's what Paul's saying. It's not just those who one day will be saved. It's those who right now, because of the shed blood of Jesus and the empty tomb, those who are right now being saved are those who will continue in that salvation. Christ has brought the dawning of a new age. And what does this mean? It means that right now we're in this age where the present age of all of its so-called wisdom is passing away and the new of God's kingdom is right now breaking through. And remember, the way that God has chosen, this is His idea, in all of His infinite wisdom and power, the way that God has chosen to decisively defeat death is through the death of the Son of God. God died to defeat death. You see, you and I, we could have never come up with this plan. We would have never even dreamed of it. This is why so many people reject the cross. Because the cross, it confronts everything that we know and hold dear. It stands opposite and contrary to everything. We can just trace our own history and uh, trace the history of the Corinthians during that time, of course. But history is filled with examples of us as humanity forming our own saviors. 
Just consider the Corinthians day. They had the mighty Hercules, Zeus, Aphrodite, Athena. They had the wonderful gods. But the cross stands audaciously opposite to every one of the saviors that we could come out in every way. It stands opposite in intent, opposite in foundation, opposite in wisdom, opposite in power. But don't miss this. Paul, he determines to hold the audacity of the cross before the Corinthians. What's his message? Christ crucified. Now, we might think that Paul would have chosen as the foundation of his message the resurrection. Why didn't he preach the resurrected Christ? No, no, he didn't say that, did he? Paul determined to know nothing except Christ and Him crucified. Paul doesn't go to the resurrection. Of course, the triumph of the empty tomb is what come before. And what comes before is Christ on the cross. And the cross is exactly what Paul says is the display of the power and wisdom of God. Think about the cross for just a minute. Think about the cross. The reality of the cross is that Jesus was rejected by His own people, betrayed by one of those who were closest to Him. He was deserted by the rest of His disciples. He was condemned to die as a common criminal. It was reported that he healed the lepers, that he caused the blind to see, that he raised the dead. And yet he was powerless to prevent the events of his own crucifixion. And it is this reality of a crucified Christ that becomes the point of Paul's preaching. You see, preaching... A crucified Christ does not minimize the resurrection. Read 1 Corinthians 15. Preaching a crucified Christ only amplifies the resurrection. You can't have the resurrection without the cross. As one theologian, he said it this way. The cross was repugnant to ancient sensibilities and assailed the world's self-centeredness and self-destructive ways. It was not yet the old rugged cross sentimentalized in hymns, embalmed in stained glass windows, perched on marble altars or fashioned into golden charms. It was an instrument of death and torture. And Paul He preached Christ because the only way to know Christ is through the cross. You cannot know Christ as Savior unless you have a crucified Christ. Christ, He said it this way, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. And Jesus would say later, When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men, all people to Myself. And He draws us to Himself. He draws us to Himself. Which is the reason the second sub-point is, Even though the message of the cross is contrary to the believer, for those of us who are in Christ, it's consistent to us. 
It's consistent to the believer. Contrary to the world, consistent to the believer. Remember, according to verse 18, that there are only two types of people. There are the ones who are perishing, already are perishing, and the ones who are being saved. What's the difference between the two people? The difference is the cross of Christ. We are being saved because God's called us. That's verse 24. And we are being saved not only because God called us, but we are being saved because of our belief. And that's verse 21. See, here's the reality that the gospel confronts us with. Left to ourselves, we would have never believed in a crucified Savior as the place to hang our eternity on. You and I would have never said, yeah, we're going to believe in a crucified, resurrected Jesus and we're going to hang our eternal destiny on that fact. Left to ourselves, we would not believe that. Here's the reason why. Because we're prone to self-glorification. We're prone to idolatry. But the cross of Christ is the antidote to just what you and I need who are so prone to self-glorification, who are so prone to idolatry. The cross is the antidote that you and I need for all of those tendencies. By Christ's cross... Listen, listen to this. By the cross of Christ, God has taken an image of bondage and tyranny and turned it into the greatest symbol of freedom the world has ever known. God has taken an image that the world despises and made it into the only image capable of saving. God on a cross Dying for the sins of the creatures that He created. And if you this morning find this truth lovely. If this truth this morning is like air to your lungs. And there's something that you need to know. You didn't just come to the cross of Christ and say, you know what, I think I'll embrace that today. If you believe, if you see the cross lovely, then you do so because of the mighty work of the Spirit of God in your life. Only those whom God begins a work in are those who will ever find something so despised, a thing of such astounding beauty. The cross is so incredible that once you see the love, once you see the wisdom, once you see the power of God on display, it can never be unseen. Or better yet, maybe we should say it this way. Once you see the cross of Christ for the first time, you begin to see reality as it truly is. It's not as if there's two realities. There's only one reality. In the cross or outside the cross. That's the only reality that there is. You say, what do you mean uh, if you see the cross of Christ, you begin to see reality? What do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. God on a cross confronts us with eternity. And once you and I brush up against eternity, then we discover the reason for existence. If there's no eternity, then there's no reason for existence. But the message of Christianity, God crucified, just not at the hands of sinful humanity, but for the sake of sinful humanity, puts everything in the right perspective of reality. Do you see what God has done through the cross? Do you see what He's done? The message of the cross is a message proclaimed that provides a focal point for the world that's, that's spinning out of control. 
The whole world is spinning and and moving and getting nowhere fast, advancing. We think we're so far technologically. We have this idol today called technology. We have this idol today called pharmacology where we go to the doctors before we pray to God and we open our iPhones before we read the Bibles. We were thinking that we're getting places, but we're not getting anywhere. The cross, what it does is for a society that's spinning and spinning and spinning, it provides the only focal point for us to focus to have salvation. Scripture says the wisdom of this world is nothing more than chasing wind. God has shown us eternity through the cross of Christ. How amazing. How incredible. Even the phrase Christ crucified sounds like an oxymoron. It sounds like a contradiction in terms. Think about it. Christ or Messiah, that has regal appeal, doesn't it? The Messiah is coming. This is the King coming to be the King of Kings. And then put that together with crucified? Crucified uh, means defeat. Crucified means humiliation. Crucified means weakness. Christ crucified? This is madness. In the world's terms. Madness. But thankfully when we look at the cross. We aren't dealing in the world's terms. We are dealing with the wisdom and the power of God. And you know what that means? Salvation for you and me. That's what it means. God has really left us with two options. By the cross. God has left us with two options. We can either trust His wise foolishness and be saved. Or we can trust our foolish wisdom and be lost for all eternity. I want to ask you this morning. On the authority of what God's Word says. Is there a message wiser, more powerful than Christ crucified? Is there anything that you can imagine that set the course of history? All of history has been coming up to this moment, and now all history hinges upon that moment. Is there anything wiser, more powerful than Christ crucified? What does the church say? No. No way. So here's the challenge. Once we agree that only the cross has the power to save, number two this morning, we have to determine... To proclaim the message of the cross. We have to determine to proclaim the message of the cross. Now, look back at verse 17. There was an occasion behind Paul's writing to the Corinthians. What's the occasion? They were distracted. They were trying to see eternity by looking through a keyhole. They were missing the big picture. Now, look at what they were doing. The distraction wasn't something bad. They were these people who were very religious. They were having a religious conversation. I was baptized by Apollos. Now, what Paul say there, listen to what he says. Then he says in verse 17, Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. You hear that? Now, Paul's not undermining baptism. It's not as if baptism wasn't important. But here's what Paul's saying. Baptism, something as, as tremendous as baptism, it becomes insignificant without the cross. Now listen to me, Oxford. Don't get distracted by good things 
when God has called you and us together to enjoy the best thing. Don't settle for something good when God has given us the best. What is the best that God has given us? Christ crucified. In a few months, in a few weeks, you're going to be searching for your new pastor. In your search for your new pastor. In the way that the ministries of this church are managed. When strategies are formed, remember that the only one message has the power to save. When you're going through your religious devotions, when you're praying, when you're reading your Bible, when you're ministering to others, when you're coming to church, don't substitute the message of the cross with your own foolish wisdom. Instead, trust the wise foolishness of God, the power of the cross. Remember, verse 22 through 24. Just as there are two kinds of people, there are two kinds of idolatries in our fallen world. And remember who Paul's talking to. He's talking to a church in Corinth that has problems. He's not talking to anybody. He's talking, this is an inside conversation with the church, the people of God. And he's telling them, be aware. There are two kinds of idolatries that you must avoid. What are those two idolatries? The longing for power. And the quest for wisdom. Look at what it says. Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But look at verse 23. What a wonderful contrast. But contrary to all those things, we preach Christ crucified. When Oxford, and I'm talking to the people who feel the pews this morning. When Oxford makes her decision in the upcoming days, upcoming weeks, upcoming years. It's my prayer that you will choose to live by what Paul says in Romans 1. I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation. For everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek those who seek signs and those who seek wisdom. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Look at verse 23. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews folly, foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Then don't miss this last verse. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God, it's stronger than anything that mankind could ever come up with. The centerpiece of our salvation is Christ and Him crucified. Father in heaven, we love You. And we are thankful for the way that You love us. Thank You that the most significant event in history has happened. 
And even today, we feel in our hearts the effects of the the ripple that was started on that day. Christ crucified. Christ resurrected. And now, as Your people, we long for the day when this Christ, who was crucified in resurrection, the One who ascended, and who right now is seated at the hand of the Father, who has sent His Spirit, we are longing for that day when this Christ will come again. Father, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know You, anyone here today who they do not delight in the cross of Christ as their salvation, may today be the day that You call them to Yourself and that they believe. May today be the day that they receive salvation. May today be the day where, where they see the cross not as something grotesque, not as something foolish, but something as beautiful powerful and wise. Father, for Oxford Baptists in the upcoming days, may they choose and determine forthrightly to have one message that they proclaim. Christ crucified. We give you all the glory and we thank you. And all of God's people said, Amen. We pray God will use this message for His glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at OxfordBaptistChurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.